A few years ago, uh, we built a house, and it's pretty exciting to build. At least we found it that way. Every few days, we couldn't help ourselves. Uh, we'd find ourselves at the building site and drag the kids along with us. Oh, look, kids, they've dug some dirt. Oh, look, they've now put the dirt into a big pile. It's amazing what you can get excited about. Well, imagine how we felt when they actually built something. First thing to go down, of course, is the, the foundation. And when they laid the foundation, we were all pretty pumped. Uh, we could walk all over it. It was smooth. It was solid. It was a great foundation and we loved it but can you imagine us then saying to our builder look we really love the foundation you've laid and honestly we're happy with that that'll do you know we don't need the walls the roof the rooms the carpet the kitchen this foundation is so good we'll stick with this no one says that doesn't matter how good your foundation is it's not enough it's not a house It's just a foundation. Now, it's this sort of thing going on in our verses this morning. The people that the letter to the Hebrews was originally written to, they were being tempted to be happy with just the foundations of Christ. Tempted to be happy to stick with just the preparations for Jesus in the Old Testament. Tempted to go back to Judaism without actually having Christ himself. But the writer's strong warning to them is that just having the foundations of Jesus, just having Judaism, the Old Testament, that's not enough. Because even though Judaism is a great foundation for Christ, it doesn't have Jesus. And if you leave Jesus out, if you just stick with the Old Testament, you don't have God's salvation because you don't have Christ and his death for our sins and so without Christ you're not in God's family you don't have God's forgiveness you won't be part of the world to come and so the writer urges his readers and us to go on to Christ to go on in maturity in Christ to grow up in our understanding of Christ so that we don't settle for anything less than Christ let's have a look at how all this plays out it's a bit of a complicated little passage It's given a lot of confusion to Christians over the years. So we're going to start with the author's conclusion so that we can get our bearings right, right from the get-go. We're going to try and make things as clear as possible for us as we work our way through the verses. So what's his bottom line? Where are we meant to end up? Well, his conclusion to everything he's got to say comes in chapter 6, verse 1. And it's this, where to go on to maturity. So chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, see, here's his conclusion. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Now, he's got two reasons why we're to go on to maturity. We'll get to them. But first, we need to find out what these elementary teachings about Christ are because he says that we're to leave them. We're to move on from them. And to find out what they are, it's really simple. We just have to keep on reading because the rest of verses 1 and 2 are a bit of a list of exactly what the elementary teachings about Christ are. They're a list of some of the things that we're to move on from. And it's actually a really curious list because even though it's a list of the elementary teachings about Christ, Christ isn't even in the list. 
Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the elementary teachings about Christ, the foundational truths are things like faith and repentance and eternal judgment. But there's no mention of Jesus in the list. And yet they're the basic elementary teachings about Christ. It's a little weird, isn't it? And that's because all of these things are Jewish. They're the basic truths of the Old Testament preparing us for the coming of Christ. These are the things that the Jew and the Christian have in common. They're the foundational truths for Christ. They get you ready for him, but they're not about him specifically. They're the foundation for him, as he says. Just like the foundation of a house isn't a house, so you need to move on to build the house. Well, the foundational elementary truths about Christ in Judaism, they aren't Christ. And so the writer's saying they have to move on from these things. You can't just stay in the Jewish ideas. You need to be Christian. You need to have Christ and not just be Jewish. You need to build the house and not just stay with the foundation. Because if you don't have Christ, then everything the writer's been talking about that we've seen over the past five weeks, you miss out on it all. Without Christ, you're not one of the sons of God. Without Christ, you miss out on God's great salvation. Without Christ, you do not enter God's rest. Without Christ, you do not have his death for your sins. Without Christ, you're not forgiven of your sins. Without Christ, you can't approach God. Judaism is simply not enough because it is without Christ. And this was a really hard thing for the readers, the original readers, to come to terms with. Because remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians who are being persecuted by their fellow Jews. There are Jews who are trying to get them to come back to just Judaism. And so it would make their life a whole lot easier if they would just stick with the Jewish stuff because then the persecutions would stop. And anyway, there's some really good stuff in Judaism. You know, like faith and repentance and judgment. Judaism believes in all that stuff and we know that Jesus does too. So can't we just go back to Judaism and stay there and not worry about Jesus specifically? And the writer's saying no. No, that's not an option. Judaism is not enough. You need to leave the elementary teaching about Christ, not laying again the foundation and go on to maturity in Christ. And the writer has two reasons why they need to go on to maturity in Christ. And reason number one is their immaturity. Uh, They're babies in Christ. They're still feeding on just the truths of Judaism, on the milk, if you like, of the Old Testament foundations for Christ. But what they need is the solid food of Jesus himself. They need to beef up with the actual truth of Christ. Come back to chapter 5, verse 11. Here's his first reason. Chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Basically, he's saying to them, look, you're babies. You haven't grown up. You're trying to sustain your Christian faith by feeding on milk, by feeding on just the Old Testament anticipations of Christ. And you've been doing this for a while. Seriously, you should be teaching others about Christ by now, but you're still infants. You're immature. And that's why chapter 6 begins with, therefore, let's leave the elementary truths about Christ. Let's not lay again the foundations of Judaism. Let's go on to maturity. When a baby's born, uh, they're usually quite cute. Uh, It's delightful, isn't it? Beautiful. And it's exciting to think this new baby, you know, what this new life will grow up to be like. But imagine if that newborn baby, if in a few years' time still look like a newborn. Now, that'd be troubling. Clearly, there'd be something wrong. That's not cute anymore. You'd want to know what's going on. It's the same with our Christian lives. When we become Christians, sure, we're newborns in the faith. You know, there's heaps we don't know. Lots of things to learn, lots of things to change. And it's exciting to think of what our new life will grow up to be like. But if in a few years' time, you're still just like you were when you first became a Christian... That'd be troubling. Clearly, there'd be something wrong. You'd want to know what was going on. Friends, we're meant to be growing. Our vision statement here at church is we're growing followers of Christ Jesus. Half of that is all about us growing in maturity, growing up in Christ. And to use the imagery of the writer, we do that by dining out on solid food. We need the solid food of the truth of Christ. And not just for our sakes and our maturity, but for one another's sakes as well. As he says in verse 12, by this time you ought to be teaching others. We'll think more about that when we get to the end. For the original readers of this letter, their issue was that they were feeding just feeding on the milk of the Old Testament preparations for Jesus. They weren't dining on the truth of Christ himself, content to just stay in the basics of Judaism, and that really serious. Because that kind of immaturity, that's not just stunted growth. To go back to Judaism, in fact, makes it impossible to even be Christian. Because to remain in Judaism is to not have Christ Jesus at all. This is the second reason for going on to maturity, the impossibility of even being Christian if you go back to Judaism. The writer spells this out from verse 4. If you're reading a different translation to the NIV, you'll probably see that verse 4 starts with the word for or because Verse 4 is the beginning of the second reason why they're to go on to maturity. Verses 4 to 6 are the second reason why they're to leave Judaism. So why are they to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and instead go on to maturity? Why? Because, verse 4, because it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, 
to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, to understand these verses, we need to remember that he's talking about the need to go on to maturity. If you take these verses out of their context, you can make verses 4 to 6 say all kinds of things. But these verses are his second reason why they need to leave Judaism and move on to maturity in Christ. And he says, verse 4, they need to do this because it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. The first thing the writer makes clear in this verse is that he's talking to Christians. Those who've once been enlightened, those who've shared in the Holy Spirit, those who've tasted the powers of the coming age. The idea of tasted here is the idea of having had a complete experience. Uh, elsewhere in Hebrews, Jesus is said to have tasted death. It's not that he you know, kind of died, but not really. No, he really died. He tasted death. And so to have tasted the powers of the coming age is to have had a complete experience of them, not a kind of but not really experience of them. These people are Christian. And these people, these Christians, they need to go on to maturity in Christ. They need to move on from Judaism because it's impossible for them, verse 6, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss... They're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, it's at this point when the writer starts talking about falling away uh, that people get a bit antsy uh, because some people think that a Christian can fall away from Christ, whereas some other people think that God's promised to never let his people go so a Christian can't fall away from Christ. And with those two opposing views, people then have a whole bunch of arguments over Christians falling away. But what gets lost is the actual verses in their context. People hear falling away and think it's just talking about Christians stopping being Christian. When in their context, the idea here of falling away is much more specific than that. As we've seen, the specific issue the writer's addressing is Jewish Christians turning back to Judaism. So to fall away here is to return to Judaism. And what he's, so what he's saying is, should a Christian fall away to Judaism, it's impossible to repent back to Christ while ever they're doing this. Not that it's impossible to come back to Christ at all, but that it's impossible to come back to Christ while ever they stay in Judaism. We see this in the end of verse 6 where we see that falling away in this context is a re-crucifying of Jesus. So verse 6 again, it's impossible if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So to fall away in this verse is to re-crucify Jesus all over again certainly sounds a lot more than just turning away from Christ. But it is a little weird, isn't it? But it makes sense when we remember that in this context, to fall away is to return to Judaism. And to go back to Judaism is to go back to the sacrifices for sin at the Jewish temple. It's to go back to the Jewish 
sacrificial system. But those Old Testament sacrifices, they were all about Jesus. Those sacrifices at the temple were all anticipations of Christ and his sacrifice of himself on the cross. And so to go back to those Jewish sacrifices is to kind of re-crucify Christ all over again because he's what those sacrifices are all about. So if you want to be Christian, you've got to leave Judaism. To summarise verses 4 and six, four to 6, sorry, it's like this. If a Christian turns to Judaism, they can't come back to Christ while ever they stay in Judaism. They need to move on from Judaism, then they can come back to Christ. Let me illustrate it for you. Uh, this week is State of Origin Week in the NRL, and I have been a mad New South Wales supporter my entire life. Now, what if there, okay, this is blasphemy, what if there came a day when I changed my mind and I became a Queensland fan? <laughs> now, that is not an easy thing for me to do. Uh, as you know, New South Wales, Queensland, bitter enemies, but I switched sides and I'm now a Maroons fan. Now, my friends who are New South Wales fans, they don't want me to desert them. You know, I'm going to the dark side now. They don't want me to go across to Queensland, and so they try and convince me to come back to the Blues. Now, I feel the pull, you know, because I did love the Blues. So I say, well, can't I support both? Can't I go for both New South Wales and Queensland? But my New South Wales friends are clear. You can't be a New South Wales fan while ever you're a Queensland fan. They're sworn enemies. It's impossible to come back to the Blues if you stick with the Maroons. So just leave them completely Come back to New South Wales. For the Christians who've fallen away in going back to Judaism, it's impossible for them to come back to Christ while ever they remain in Judaism. They need to go on from the foundation. They need to go on to maturity in Christ. Now, we're not in danger of returning to Judaism. But the call to go on to maturity is just as important for us as it was for the original readers. We need to make sure we go on to maturity in Christ. Because remember, without Christ, you're not one of the sons of God. Without Christ, you miss out on God's great salvation. Without Christ, you don't enter God's rest. Without Christ, you don't have his death for your sins. Without Christ, you don't have God's forgiveness. Without Christ, you can't approach God. And just like Judaism isn't enough to be included in the people of God, hanging around Christians isn't enough to be included in God's people. Coming to church isn't enough to make you a Christian. When you walk into a garage, it doesn't make you a car. And walking into a church doesn't make you a Christian. If you're just coming along to church, but you don't personally, genuinely believe in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then you're without him. And you're not one of God's people. You need to move on from just coming to church and to go on to maturity in Christ. And that applies for us all who are Christian. We all need to be going on to maturity in our understanding of Christ. Because if you only have a superficial understanding of Christ, if your knowledge of him is you know, not much more than what you learn at Sunday school, 
If you're still immature in Christ because we've only ever really fed off Christian milk, how long do you think you'll last as a Christian? I know of someone who had a, a nasty fall and injured their mouth. They bit into their tongue in a very serious way and it meant that for a time they could only eat liquids. And living off milk, even for just a little while, this guy started fading and fast. He lost a lot of weight and he didn't even have much weight to lose. He became this skinny, scrawny guy wasting away with no energy. Living off milk can't sustain you. It's the same in our Christian lives. We need solid food. We need to dine out on the word of God. We need to get indigestion because we're reading the Bible too much. We need to pig out on the scriptures. You know how your mum and dad always told you when you were a kid, you know, no, you know, take it easy, have a little bit, leave some for the people behind you. Don't worry, everyone's got their own Bible. Just read and read and read. And not a superficial quick reading. You know, so you can tick the box, I read the Bible today. No, we need to slow down and dig deep and grow up in Christ so that we stand fast in him. But not just for our own individual sake. Back in chapter 5, verse 12, remember the writer says, he says that they ought to be teachers by this time. They're to go on to maturity and then they ought to teach others. It's not an optional extra. Teaching others the word of God, that's not something we leave up to the keen beans. We become mature in our understanding of Christ and then we ought to be teaching others the word of God. For many of you, you've been in DPC or Bible-believing churches for years. Years. So by this time, you ought to be teachers of God's word. So if the reason you're not teaching kids' church is because you don't know enough, if the reason you're not teaching scripture is because you don't know enough, if the reason you're not regularly meeting with someone to read the Bible with them is because you don't know enough, if the reason you avoid having significant conversations with others about the things of Christ, if the reason you don't do that is because you don't know enough, why don't you know enough? Why have you let that happen? Later on in chapter 6, the writer urges his readers to be diligent in these things and to not be lazy. Brothers and sisters, if in all honesty you need to grow up in your maturity in Christ, then please make sure you do. And not just for your sake, but for ours. Because we need you to help us to grow in our maturity in Christ so that as a church family we can all be careful to see that none of us turn away from the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please give us such clarity and conviction about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ that we would never settle for anything less. We would be content in him. And, Father, we would grow up in him. And together, Father, as a collection of your people, a church family, we would grow up in maturity together, teaching one another your word, 
And so, Father, when your son comes, none of us will be found to have fallen short of your rest in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we pray it in his name. Amen.